You're listening to The Pithy Chronicle. History with a bite. I'm Caroline. And I'm Erica. And we bring you history's dirtiest deeds dripping with sarcasm. Are you hungry yet? Welcome back, Pithy listeners. I'm Caroline. And I'm Erica. And we today are here to tell you the exhilarating and relatively quick story of the Second Crusade, mostly as prep to get you ready to meet Eleanor and Louis as they crusade. And a hunkle or two. And a hunkle. It's more of a munkle. A mistress uncle? A mistress uncle? Well, they didn't get married. Mm. You just meant like a hunky uncle, not a husband. I did. I meant a hunky uncle. Say that seven times fast. (laughs) No, ma'am. We're getting ready. But before we do, Erica Housekeeping. We're going to make this fast and furious. Grab that broom. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast. We are everywhere, but those are the big two. If you could give us a like, a rate, or even a review. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be special. Just... Having it there legitimately helps us. We have no standards. I'm just saying, man, it helps us get found. If you feel so inclined to give us a monetary donation, there are two ways you can do that. One is a monthly transaction on Patreon and you get some extra goodies here, there, and yonder. And the other is on buy me a coffee forward slash the Pithy Chronicle. And then lastly, please follow us on social medias. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. But back to the Second Crusade where they had none of the stuff that we just talked about. Mm, Simpler times. Except for patrons. They did have patrons. The Second Crusade took place between 1147 and 1150. And it was launched as a response to the fall of the county of Edessa in 1144 to the forces of Zengi. What a name. It took three years to learn of Edessa's fall, then come up with a plan, organize, recruit an army, and eventually leave. Three years between the thing that started it and the actual crusade. That seems short. <laughs> okay, I guess I was going to say life moved pretty slow in the not dark, but definitely not light days. <laughs> Second, where and what is Edessa? Unless, Erica, did you know? I mean, I know, but I, I couldn't explain it well. Could you find it on a map? I mean, it's in Turkey. Modern day Turkey. Okay, it's in Turkey. Uh, Edessa was an ancient city that Erica claims she could still find on a map. In Upper Mesopotamia, near modern day Urfa, Turkey. And it has an interesting history that we really just don't have time for. Suffice to say, it was a uniquely diverse city with a mixture of Syriac or Aramaic for those of you that saw Mel Gibson's movie, <laughs> and Hellenistic or Greek cultures, which eventually fell to the Romans in 212 or 213 AD. It was a melting pot, which was quite unusual for its time, and it was a city of theological and philosophical thought with the famed school of Edessa. Why does this matter? Well, in the mid-7th century, it fell into Roman control, and then it went into the Rashidun Caliphate during the Muslim conquest of the Levant. The Romans, or really at this point it was just really the Byzantine Empire, didn't recover it until 1031, and clearly they're not going to keep it very long. It became, for the first time, however, a crusader state, one of four that was established after the success of the First Crusade, and I use success loosely. Air quotes, yeah. But how did that happen? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Think back, way back, to 1098. 
The main crusading army is heading toward Antioch and then Jerusalem, but Baldwin of Boulogne decides to make a detour. He's heard of Edessa and he is intrigued. So he leaves the main army and travels south to Cilicia and then east to Edessa, where he somehow manages to convince its current lord, Thoros, to adopt him as his son and heir. This reeks of that, hey, they just invited me to be their king. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Say no? Oh, and he marries the guy's daughter, Arda of Armenia. Oh. They're different cultures, but he kind of adopts it quickly. Baldwin is now heir, and sadly, Thoros is still hanging about. It's very inconvenient, but easily remedied. Fortunately for Baldwin, Thoros isn't well-liked. Though an Armenian Christian, he practiced Greek Orthodoxy, and that was much to the annoyance of his mostly Armenian Orthodox subjects. He was removed from power. Mm. Did he abdicate? Was he assassinated? Did Baldwin, new son-in-law, do it? Mm, who knows? I feel like it's a very easy jump That's for right. me to be. Baldwin did succeed Thoros as ruler and took the title of Count, which he technically already held because he was the Count of Verdun. But this time, his older brother was not in charge of him. Mm. Oddly, though, his older brother did still continue to rule his fate because two years later, Baldwin was declared King of Jerusalem after that older brother, Godfrey, died. And thus, the county of Edessa, that all-important crusading Christian stronghold, went to a cousin, Baldwin of Bork. Bork? Crazy similar, very annoying, but we have to move on. Things went swimmingly for a very, very, very short time. There was lots of intermarriage between the Frankish lords and their Armenian subjects. And eventually, Jocelyn of Courtenay came to power, expanding Edessa's lands and being an all-around badass who continually escaped captures and kidnappings only to be These wounded. people loved abductions they, and kidnappings. Abductions were in. <sighs> yeah, I think it was a lot easier back then. Mm. He was a badass until he was gravely wounded during a siege in 1131. His son, excitingly named Jocelyn II, mm. took over, but he just couldn't handle all the moving bits and pieces, you know, leaving security lax, which primed Zengi to besiege the city in 1144, capturing it the night before Christmas. <gasps> I know, we all felt that. Lest you think Jocelyn escaped into the night, he actually, quote-unquote, ruled some of his remaining lands for a little while, till he was eventually captured by Zangi's son, who imprisoned him in Aleppo until he died. Well, let's review Zangi. So let's look at that last piece of the puzzle. Zangi was a Turkoman Atabeg, meaning a person of the Oga's Turkish origin, and Atabeg meaning in charge. And this Turkoman Atabeg ruled Mosul, Aleppo, Harma, and eventually Edessa. All of these should sound quite familiar because they are still very important large cities today. The namesake of the Zengrid dynasty, he was a politician, finding power vacuums and filling them, making religious alliances in order to gain money, and really he just did a hell of a job. He was very capable. But unfortunately, this pissed off a lot of the Frankish lords back home, leading to the Second Crusade and the reason that we are all here now. This is the legendary warrior that allegedly was fathered by Ida of Austria when she was captured at the end of the Lighthearted Crusade. We debunked that theory the time. Yep. It just doesn't line up. There's no possible way. But I think it's interesting that we've already been through this making. It's a Western of story that he was the son of Ida 
it makes sense because it's the Western interpretation saying the only way this guy could mm-hmm. have been good enough to beat us was to be partly us. Right. Like he, he was from both worlds and right. therefore just could be better. Which is completely unfounded. He just beat your ass. That's no, he it. just beat your butt. So here we go. We're back to where we began. Returning European pilgrims brought news of Odessa's fall in early 1145, prompting Pope Eugene III to issue a papal bull calling for a second crusade. It was, however, the first crusade to be led by European kings, namely Louis VII of France and Conrad III of Germany. Plus, a lot of other European nobles at the same time were also looking for glory. Everybody else had come back. It had been about 50 years until people had really put effort and time into a crusade. So all the grandfathers are talking about it and all the grandsons are lusting after the turn to go fight for Christendom. Plus, a lot of other European nobles were looking for this glory of battle. And that was essential. The initial response to the new crusade bull was lukewarm at best. In fact, the bull had to actually be reissued, making it crystal clear that Louis VII of France was coming. Taylor Swift is on tour with us. It's gonna be fine. Just get your butts in gear for this crusade. And it really did help with the enthusiasm. Louis VII had already planned something like a pilgrimage, more of a personal crusade, because as we learned last week, he had accidentally murdered 1,500 of his own Christian peeps inside of a church, and... Nothing like a mass murder to make one feel restored. Yeah. Forgiven. Basically, this ultra-religious man, he felt guilty about that. He felt guilty about an older brother that was dead, and instead he got to sleep with a beautiful woman and rule France. So a pilgrimage was needed to ease his conscience. The two kings' armies marched separately across Europe, and neither one fared well. Both were accosted and defeated by the Seljuk Turks. There were some sour grapes spilled forth with allegations of treachery because the main Western Christian source that we have, Otto of Duil, claimed that the Byzantine Emperor Manuel I Komnenos secretly ordered the Turkish attacks on the Crusaders. It really didn't make a lot of political sense, and Odo certainly probably had a grudge against the Byzantine Emperor generally, but that's what the man claimed. We'll just leave it there. So there's some concern about why they fared so poorly as they went along. The armies are down, badly, badly down, but not technically out. Louis and Conrad both managed to survive with the remnants of their original armies, and they did reach Jerusalem, whereupon they didn't decide to just make it a pilgrimage and go back home. Oh no, they devised a very stupid plan to attack Damascus, which of course ended in retreat. So three years to plan a mission and not a single victory. Yeah, it was a total and utter failure. Is that what I'm hearing? The Muslim forces claimed complete victory, and it definitely laid way for the fall of Jerusalem that would then come to lead the Third Crusade. Caroline. Yes. Go on and tell us the details. Fine, 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 fine. For historical accuracy's sake, there were technically some Crusader victories. Mostly from a force of Flemish, Frisian, Norman, English, Scottish, and German crusaders that were completely unconnected with the ridiculously devout Louis. But traveling from England by ship, they paused their passage to the Holy Land in order to assist the Portuguese army in capturing Lisbon and expelling its Moorish occupants. So there you go. It was technically a Christian victory. Clearly, completely worth the bloodshed, disease, starvation, and general terribleness. Thank you. The Second Crusade ended 
with each of the Christian forces feeling betrayed by the other. And Conrad, fed up, removed his troops to Constantinople to forge further alliances with the Byzantine emperor, while Louis remained behind in Jerusalem to purge his soul, forcing his wife Eleanor, whom he was barely speaking to by this time, something about sleeping with her uncle, but we're going to get into that drama next week. Anyway, forcing Eleanor to stay behind in Jerusalem with him, though when they did finally leave, they boarded separate ships back to France. The end. Well, that's bossy. I know. And uh, I think, Erica, you're going to kind of pick us up about how they eventually got home. Yes. There's also some special interest from the Pope in their bedroom situation. Oh, yes. He was so concerned about that. He was very involved. Man really had a therapeutic heart of gold self-interest. Let's be fair. There was a reason that he wanted to keep this marriage together. Yep. But... That's not until next time. And with that, I'm Caroline. And I'm Erica. And we are Pithily Yours. This episode is brought to you by The Pithy Chronicle, LLC. The Pithy Chronicle is intended for education, entertainment, and non-commercial purposes. Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the owner may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. While we offer lots of sarcasm, this podcast does not offer any advice or services. Listening to this podcast may induce fits of laughter, unexpected distraction, or uncontrollable rage at the subjects. Hopefully not at us. We hope you learned something today. If not, so sorry. Please be advised we are not experts in the following fields. Medical, legal, financial, technological, thermonuclear engineering, submarine warfare, neuroscience, or cat husbandry. Thanks for listening to our little disclaimer. Just covering our history-loving asses. Bye!